Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Just and the Suffering podcast featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. Baseball has hit the all-star break. The Mets are checking in pretty much dead and buried, 10 games below 500. Yankees cruising to an AL East title. We're going to have the baseball beat with us today to dive into everything around the game. The Mets, the Yankees, the league as a whole, all that's coming up today in the baseball beat. Make sure you lock into the end of the show for this week's two-minute drill, where I'm going to do a special Phillips film review of the latest 30 for 30 film, The Good, The Bad, and The Hungry. We're going to break down the 30 for 30 on competitive eating, specifically Takara Kobayashi and Joey Chestnut and the rivalry between them created at the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. But, okay, I'll start this week's opening tip. I'm recording on Manic Monday at Wimbledon, and we are all set for the next wave of matches. All that's coming up right after this. All right, we are back with this week's opening tip on the Just and the Suffering podcast. That call you just heard from ESPN's Chris Fowler summarizes the story of week one of Wimbledon. Coco Gauff making a dramatic run to the fourth round of Wimbledon. Gauff, a 15-year-old American, qualifies for the tournament, literally has to win three matches to get in, faces her idol, Venus Williams, in the first round, wins that match, wins another, then has an epic come-from-behind victory over Polona Herskog on Friday to get to the fourth round. And literally, this match, it looked like she was done. Gallup literally was trailing in the second set. She dropped the first, trailing 5-3 in the second, facing two match points. Rips off three straight games, forced the tiebreak, wins the tiebreak, wins the third set, Goes on to the fourth round. Now, granted, we're recording on Manic Monday after all the action um, at Wimbledon. And by the way, Manic Monday, the best tennis day on the calendar all year long. All of the men's singles matches and all the women's singles matches for the fourth round are playing on one day at the All England Club, which is fantastic. Galf went out in the fourth round today, lost to Simona Halep in straight sets. Which I was expecting. Halp is a former world number one. Gauff takes a huge step forward, though, in her career. And a star was truly born. I mean, Twitter was captivated by Coco Gauff over the last week. Now, tennis is known for having these stars who just burn so bright, so hot, and then they're never heard from again. Remember 10 years ago at the U.S. Open, there was an American teenager named Melly Odan who basically was having the Coco Gauff experience, just riding these big wins in front of the home crowd, gets on to Arthur Ashe, losing the fourth round to Caroline Wozniacki, and is never heard from again. Are we saying Coco Gauff is Melody O'Dan? No, but she has a lot of potential. It's going to be very exciting to see what happens with her and where she goes from here. She went out today. Another one who went out today, the number one seed, Ashley Barty, goes out. Loses to American Allison Risky in the fourth round. And not surprised there. 
Barty plays well. She won the French. She plays well on grass. But she had the expectations of becoming the world's number one player entering this tournament. That's a huge burden for anyone to carry. And for someone who's doing it for the first time, right before a slam, that's a big, big issue. And she'll be back. She's a talented player, but this was just not her event. One person who is having a good event on the women's draw is Serena Williams. Serena wins today, is into the quarterfinals where she's taking on Allison Risky. And again, we, are, we shouldn't be surprised with Serena. Serena, anytime she enters an event, anytime she enters a Grand Slam tournament, she has a great chance to win it. And that's something you have to remember with her. She's still one slam away from having the all-time record for the most slams in female tennis history. Just one away. And she's been stuck on that for a while now because of the winning the Australian Open, then taking a year off for pregnancy, and then she's had a couple of close calls since. But this could be her year because her draw is actually opened up considerably. For example, we lost Ashley Barty. We lost my pick to win the tournament in uh, Patrick Avedova. Naomi Osaka went out in the first round. The two biggest challengers left in this field besides Serena are Halep, who has proven very capable at any slam, and the eighth seed, Elena Svitolina. Can Serena get through here and win another slam at Wimbledon? That's going to be the story of this week. Is what Serena does going forward. She plays risky tomorrow on on the center court, eight o'clock in the morning. Will be fun to see what she does there. The men's side, pretty much straight to chalk for the most part. Novak Djokovic is going to have a pretty straight shot to the to the final if all goes according to plan. He wins his straight sets today. Uh, in the fourth round over Ugo Humbert. And he is basically, there's no one really left on his side. It's going to give him a tough, tough time. Uh, Alexander Zverev, the five seed, was in that area, but he again got bounced very, very early. Tough, tough Wimbledon for him and disappointing again. All the talent in the world for Sasha Zverev, and he cannot make it come through. Kevin Anderson, last year's finalist, goes out early in the third round. Novak's path is pretty clear. I think we're going to see a lot of Novak going forward. And I think he's going to make a run to the final and have a chance to defend his Wimbledon title. The bottom of the draw, where the intrigue really starts. On one side, we have Rafael Nadal, who has looked his best on grass that he has in years. And he had a pretty tough road to get through. He had a match in the second round against Nick Kyrgios, the talented Australian, he got so fired up after he won that. He was fist pumping. He was getting all fired up. Follows it up. Good win over Joe Wilfried Sanga in the third round. Cruises today over Jao Sousa in, in the fourth round. He is going to take on American Sam Query in the quarterfinal round. And Query had a good run. Query is a guy who has done well here before. He's gotten to this. Actually, got to the semifinal a couple of years ago. On Wimbledon, so don't sleep on him. But he has a tough road ahead of him against Rafa. Roger Federer, vintage form on on grass, cruises through the first couple of rounds. 
wins today 1-2-2 two, and two against uh, Italian Matteo Berrettini. And he is on a collision course with Rafa in the semifinals. And we could be set finally, finally, for the rematch that's been over a decade in the making. These two have not played at Wimbledon since 2008 in the match that many people have called the greatest ever played. The epic final of Wimbledon where Federer had won all about four or five in a row. Rafa was closing in on him and trying to finally win. They play a marathon match. He wins. And they have not played at Wimbledon since. We have been denied the rematch on so many occasions. And now we are one match away from both of them getting to that point. I really hope we're sitting here on Friday morning watching these two play for a trip to the final. That would be epic. And I cannot wait for it. We'll have more from Wimbledon next week as we wrap up Wimbledon coverage on the podcast then. Up next, the baseball beat at the All-Star break coming up right after this. All right, we are back on the Just End the Suffering podcast. It is time for the baseball beat. We have hit the all-star break. Things are going fantastic for the Yankees. The Mets, not so much. We'll get dive into that today. First up, as always, somebody who has not been on in a minute, but who I call the unofficial co-host of this podcast, Will Schneiderhand. Will, welcome. How are you? Good. How are you? Good, Will. How's everything going on your end right now? I can't complain. Just got back from vacation, taking a few weeks off before I start a fall semester. So, <laughs> You hear that? <laughs> My God. Anthony's not here. Steve Coulter coming in from the top rope to fill in for Anthony Sarbellini, who is not with us thanks to the Saugerty Stallions having some work for him to do for the All-Star game. But I am happy that longtime friend of mine and former softball playing friend of mine, Steve Coulter, is with us. Steve, how are you? I'm doing great, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Not a problem. And once Anthony let me know, I said, you know what? We got to get somebody fun in here. And Steve and I go back a ways. We've played softball for a long time together. Go back to our Yorktown days and... Uh yeah, it's been a great time. Shout out to Yorktown, to any of you who listen out there. <laughs> Shout out to the Corn Huskers. The Corn Huskers, the great Joe Chaffee, who is going to be thrilled that you're on this podcast. <laughs> he, know, he knows I'm on here. I told him I was coming on. Yeah, very nice. So let's dive right into this. Let's go into the, we'll save the Yankees for a minute, because the Yankees are the very well, we know what's going on with them. They're the doing fine team. Let's go to the disaster. Let's go to the Mets. They are 40 and 50 at the All-Star break. They are ahead of only the Miami Marlins in the National League East, so... Let's do some grades. Will, as the resident Mets guy here, what's your grade of the first half? Well, they're duking it out with the Marlins for last place, so it's a fat, fat F. (laughs) (laughs) Even when you have two phenomenal seasons from Jeff McNeil and Pete Alonso, it's still an F. And that just, you know, that kind of is the Mets in a nutshell, right? Last year, they buried an incredible season from Jacob deGrom, and they're probably going to do it with McNeil and Alonso this year. Yeah, Steve, you agree with the F? Uh, I have them as a D plus. Uh, maybe that's just me being a little bit nice. Um, they've certainly disappointed. They have. We'll go, get into it in, in a bit um, of their disappointments, but I have a D plus. Uh, yeah. Will mentioned you got Alonzo, you got McNeil. They're killing it. Unfortunately, for the rest of the team, they are not. Yeah. 
I'm going with side with Schneiderhand here. I'm taking the the straight on F because I mean, you cannot come out there in in January, Brody, and say come get us, and then went to the break ten under five hundred, barely had the Marlins in the National League East. That's not good enough. Throwing chairs doesn't help the situation either. No, throwing chairs does not help either. We'll get to that in a second. Let's go down the line for the Mets here. So. Let's go to the few bright spots here. Steve, you gave them a D plus. So you're really, something's going right. So who would you say is in their best player in the first half? Their best player, it's got to be Alonzo. Yeah. He's in the home run derby. He's got, what, 30 home runs, 29 home runs, something like that. Um, up for rookie of the year. We'll get into that in a bit as well. Sorry to spoil that ahead of time. But Alonzo's just been uh, a, a son, a, a bright spot for, for the team. The son, I think, of the team. Because, I mean... It's also hard to believe back in January or whatever it was, they were talking they wouldn't make the team out of camp, and now he's here, he's hitting. It's one of the few things that could turn the Met game on for today. He's been Undoubtedly. incredible. Undoubtedly, yeah. Any any difference opinion in Will in the MVP for the Mets? Uh, Tomas Nito? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm sure it's a clean sweep with who we're all going to say is their MVP, right? Pete yeah. Alonzo. Jeff McNeil's there too, but it's just – I mean, I don't even, you know, like Alonzo hits a home run, you're like, ah, that's cool. But then, you know, I'm not even that giddy about it. Like, I'm psyched that he's here, but, like, I, I, I mean, I, is, do you feel the same way about it, too? Like, this guy could literally win. He's going to run away with Rookie of the Year, probably. Could even get some MVP votes, and the team's awful, and I almost couldn't care less at some point. Yeah, I mean, the Met games, <laughs> my extent is, if I'm working, have them on the background right now. I'll pay, I'll pay more attention when Alonzo McNeil are hitting, and then I'm like, okay, back to what I'm doing. So yeah, it's you just can skip out on the Todd Frazier at bats. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, for all the love I could give to Todd Frazier and Jason Vargas right now for having good years and boosting their trade value, I'm gonna I'm gonna give this to I'm gonna give it Alonzo, but I'm gonna shout Jeff McNeil out. He is leading the league in batting. I think he's in 356 entering the break today, which is absurd that they're wasting him too. His batting average is almost higher than Cano's slugging percentage. I think yep. Yep. that's. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, and Joe Beningo calls him the new Tony Gwynn. Would you agree with that, Steve? <laughs> uh, not quite, but uh, it's a good start for his career. Okay, so that's the, that's the, the bright side. Now we're going to start dumping on them a little bit. We're going to the negative category. This is the easier thing the to talk about. Thing. The much easier <laughs> aspect here. So, Will, the floor is yours. Who is the most disappointing Met? And there are quite a few candidates. Yeah, so we talked about it before we got on air. So I'm just going to take Familia for all of us. Yeah. Um, just dumpster fire like awful abysmal every word you i mean just catastrophically bad just, he comes into the game and he doesn't he's not even finding the play i don't he doesn't look confident he's just, he's he is awful i almost feel like i could go out there and do better like seriously just i could i lob it i feel like i'd get people out do you remember his era is for the first half Right, right. It is right now. Yeah, it's over some, seven, some like right? seven point seven or something like that. I think it's seven and a half, and that's insane because <laughs> like usually relief pitcher ERAs are high, but that is insane. Like some, you know what I mean? Like some middle relief guys will have higher ERAs around the threes and fours, fives maybe. It's unheard of for someone that's still in this league and yeah. someone who gets paid ten million dollars a year. <laughs> ten million dollars, <laughs> yeah. three for thirty. Well, to make it worse. They backloaded that contract. He's only making six and a half. He's getting paid 11 and a half the next two years. So whoop de doo I mean, like, part of me does feel awful for the guy because he looks just lost out there. I don't, You know what I mean? You look at his face during the games, I just feel like he has no idea what he's even doing. And, I mean, you can't really feel bad for him. He's not really an extraordinarily likable guy to begin with. But there's no doubt he's been one of the most disappointing players on this team, especially in that bullpen. Yeah, Steve, I think you're also going to the bullpen for your uh, disappointment. Well, you can go anywhere in the bullpen for the Mets, <laughs> but specifically on uh, Edwin Diaz. You gave up so much just to get the guy who had 57 saves last year. You know what? You know, the jury's out on what you could have expected out of Cano, but the main piece was to get Edwin Diaz, who can't get anyone out except it seems the Yankees, um, and he had a save the other day as well. 
but he's got an ERA over five. It seems like he's blowing games left and right, especially to the Phillies. You don't want to lose any games in the division. He's just been dreadful. No, I mean, that game against the Phillies the two weeks ago, when they get the big lead, Todd Frazier's the home run of the ninth, they get the insurance, and you're thinking, yeah, this is going to end the disaster trip on a good note. And then he comes up with a comes out because of five runs in the ninth inning two homers i mean you gotta be kidding me i was listening to that game in the car actually on the way to lake george mm-hmm. and uh the, one of the last things i heard was todd frazier giving the lead and then they tacked on another one yeah. uh we finally arrived to our destination i lost service at that point just to find out they blew it again that yeah. i saw five runs in the ninth inning uh just what a disaster yeah i, I mean, was driving by philly yeah, yeah i remember I te- <laughs> yeah will was driving by philly on his way to the airport i texted him i said hey you know what stop by the ballpark pick up pete and jeff and make sure you get them away from this mess god it's awful and the bullpen as a whole is a dumpster fire i mean their era as a group i think is like i think it's over eight since that game against the dodgers on may 27 when all the secondary when guys fell apart right was no that i think the, it was one? the one before that the one where the oh okay i think the secondary relievers all started blowing the lead and then mickey overworked everyone to death yeah, because he yeah, wanted yeah. to get out and then that sort of unraveled the whole bullpen that, yeah. that i saw there. a stat that with Degrom, they they have like an over a nine era and Degrom starts over the past yeah. however many and which is crazy because yeah. that's only like two innings of work yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean for real DeGrom, degrom's leaving you in the seventh that's, that's <laughs> nothing new for Degrom though because this, because evan roberts says on wfl all the time i think he might be right when i think his teammates actually hate playing for him because they either don't score they butcher on defense or they blow the lead when he leaves the game. It's just this guy should have won like 20 games two years in a row. He's going to end up with like 15 combined this rate. Uh, seriously, yeah. yeah. And my disappointment, I'm going to take the easy, easy one that's <laughs> sitting on the tree right there. The three-hole hitter? The number three hitter <laughs> from the Mets, Robinson Cano, who came over here. The Mets took on an absurd amount of money to bring him in here. Gave up two prospects for the Futures game yesterday, by the way. Jared Kalanick and Justin Dunn are both in the Futures game. He's hitting like 240, four homers, 18 RBIs. He's, get, he's almost getting outproduced by a Danny Echevarria. That's not good when you're on the hook for the four years of this guy. Not to mention the at-bat differential between those two is almost about 100, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and Danny Echevarria, the soft-hitting, glove-first middle infielder, is out pre- having more, more of a production season than Robinson Cano. <laughs> I'm going to, sorry to change gears here, Mike. Uh, I think we can do a special mention to Noah Syndergaard who had a 3 ERA or 3.03 or less for the past three years. This year it's up to 4.68. Can't get anyone out, not giving any length. Uh, he's been a, a problem for the Mets as well. Yeah, Giving up every lead, too. Yeah, yeah I mean, there are games where like, they give him a lead, he, and the offense has not been bad. They average about just under five runs a game. It's not the offense's problem, really, and, aside from Cano. Yeah, and last game, uh, when he started, it was on Fox. Joe Girardi. Yeah. Joe Girardi. Yeah, but he was doing the uh, commentary for it. And he kept saying, like, you know, the Mets kept giving him – he gave him the lead. Then they kept, like, tacking on, and then he'd give another one back. And Girardi kept saying, you need him to come in here and get a shutdown inning. Just non-existent. He's been very bad, too. Just yeah. hands down really bad. But when you have a guy like Cano batting in the three-hole, even runners everywhere. And he just looks disinterested in the field, too. Like, everything about him, he just looks like he does not care. And, yeah. and <laughs> He looks like – he's like, why did I end up here? Why did I end up back in the Bronx? He has one home run at City Field the whole year. You know when that was? I don't know the date, but like you know when it was? It was that like first series against the Nationals yeah. uh, when they came back off of you know that bullpen that was yeah. really bad in the first half. I think that was like the second week of the season. I need <laughs> to know how these analytics work. Why he's batting third? Why he's not batting farther yeah, down the line? There's you, some it, things with the I'll Yankees as well, but I, why no, does that happen? You didn't hear the theory? Mickey Callaway said the other day, he's like that. Robbie feels comfortable in the three hole, so he has to hit there to get himself out of the slump. Clearly not. And here's the, here's the analytics too. 
you traded Jared Kaletic and Justin Dunn for him, and Van Wagenen can't have him bat seventh. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> and Van Wagenen used to be his agent. He also must that's what it is. Yeah, you can't. If he bats him eighth, he hears about it, and that's why. That's why he's batting three. Speaking of Mr. Van Wagenen, let's get to him for a second here because the bro, the bloom has come off the rose with him faster than I think any GM in the history of this town with how quickly the fantasy history of the sport probably, dude. <laughs> I, I mean, think about this. Back in January, everybody loved him. He was doing all these great things, and then – He's disappeared off the face of the earth now the team is bad. Because, I mean, yes, he went out and hung mm-hmm. out the seven-line army for three innings the, the other day. He was out there high five and taking selfies with them. And then he hasn't spoken to the media about the Mets in about two weeks. Yeah. Every time they ask him, can't talk about it today. I can't talk about it today. We're talking about the uh, kid we signed. Can't talk about it today. We got to talk about what Mickey did. Can't talk about it today. We're going to talk about it later. So he's declining comment. I mean, why don't you think he's taking more accountability with the media? I'll go to you, Steve. Well, why would he want to? Um, I don't know, you know, it's exactly your, if he has to. I mean, that's, that's Mickey's job. job. No, it's Mickey's job to really handle the media. Um, but when he's, yeah, I mean, when he's at, asked questions as well, um, he's going to evade them. The team yeah. is bad. It's it's terrible. I, I don't I don't even know what else to say. He can't he can't take accountability for it. Sometimes then you talk about the role of the manager. Is is it the manager's fault? But it's or is it the analytics guys? Uh, he's not going to take the fall for it. Well, he could just like threaten to punch them like <laughs> Vargas did, but no, I he just can't do it. It's just simple. He can't handle it. I think it's just that simple. You know, when the report comes out, that he's throwing a chair. Like, mm-hmm. what is Mickey Callaway gonna do? Like, listen, I don't. I'm not a fan of his at all. But like, and I, and it's duly noted how poor of a manager he is. But like, when you're throwing a chair because the bullpen is bad. Like that's just hey, like dude, you gave me this bolt. What is you know what is Callaway gonna do about that? He can only call them. You know what I mean? He can only call them in. And it's just I just think I don't think Van Wagen in. I think he thought he could talk his way like this Mets organization, the Wilpons do. They think that us Mets fans are like dumb and we'll you know we'll eat everything they gave us, but that's not the case here. And I honestly, this is the worst general manager I've ever seen, hands down. I'm like. I, I don't trust him to do anything. I don't trust him to do a thing. I mean, he's up. He's up. He's in. He's getting close to John Isaac territory. God, John Isaac was terrible. <laughs> but I give him. Oh, here, I knew you were going to say something with the Jets. I, there are plenty Tannenbaum yeah. or John. It, or it's time about at least one. Isaac literally tried to sabotage his own coach so he could get the coach fired. He got himself yeah, fired in yeah, the process. Yeah, that's true too. I just this guy. Listen, I just when it comes to the trade deadline, I don't expect them to get anything back for who they trade and I'm not even going to allow myself to like think about think about that twice like I really just hey <laughs> I think you're going to trade Wheeler pawn all these guys off and we'll get nothing and then we'll be in an even worse situation here's exactly what the deadline's going to go for them I'm going to point this out to you right now number one they're going to trade Wheeler and they're going to not trade the Yankees because they're terrified of letting him win some with the Yankees they'll trade into the second or third choice and get lesser prospects back then they're going to take uh Frazier and take Vargas and basically dump their salary somewhere. They're not going to retain any of it. They're not going to retain any of it. Yeah. And then why is it going Jeff's pocket? That's the entire Met trade deadline right there. Uh, they, then I don't expect anything else when you probably could get at least a little bit for, for a guy like Wheeler. Like, you know, Wheeler's a guy who I think teams are going to get into him later. They won't yeah. get nearly enough for him. Yep, if no. only there was a team across town that could help them out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let's, go, let's go to that team across town. Enough whining about the Mets for a little bit. So the Yankees, I think we can all agree around the board here. I think A plus first half. I have an A. Um, there, there are some things you you hope would be better. Uh, we can get into disappointment in a bit, but the team's been on a roll for a long time now. Ever since really everyone was getting hurt, yeah. Uh, you had countless guys get hurt. Um, 
DJ LeMahieu has really stepped up, but now you got every, almost everyone back, and then some people get down. Uh, you just lost Stanton recently, lost Luke Voigt. But the team really doesn't miss a beat, except for these last two days. They Their offense rolled in London. Um, they struggled a bit in Tampa, which they almost always do. Um, but besides, besides that, this team's been on a roll. Yeah, I can't disagree. I feel like you give them an A just for the overall body of work. Like I think you're trying to say, Steve. Like there's some areas where, like, yeah, obviously you want more, but then there's other areas that did more. So it's like it all evens out in a way. Exactly. Um, and being, a, I think there's something like 14 and five, 15 and five against the the American League East. Yeah, yeah. Um, or, sorry, especially against uh, Boston and Tampa. I meant, and obviously against uh, Baltimore, who's yeah. not even really a major Batting league team. practice. That are like 33 <laughs> games behind the Yankees at that at this point. Yep. Yeah. Baltimore might not crack that over-under number. Of fi- I think it was 59 and a half going into the season. I don't think they're going to. They're probably going to end up somewhere around like 50-something, 50 52 wins. I, I regret not, be less. I regret not taking that one when I did the over-unders with Phil Freyetta back in March when he, that was always first pick. said the Orioles, you asked them to win 13 more games from a year ago and they went 47. And that, they, they got worse. How are you winning 13 more games? It's just not happening. No. But I give the full A plus just because I remember, Will, when we were talking with Anthony back in April, like when all these guys gotten hurt and they're going on this big West Coast trip, they're like, you know, survive, go four and six, come home and live and just, just hang on to look at back. They just took off and ran away with the AL East. I mean, it's not even a race anymore. It's not, it, and I don't think it's going to be. <laughs> no, I really don't. Because Tampa, I think, is a 90-win ceiling. I think the Yankees are going to be 100, 304 by the end yeah, of the season. Tampa played a good series this weekend, and it almost resulted in like a sweep. You know, yeah. that, that very well could have been a four-game sweep for the Yankees. <laughs> right now, the Yankees are sixth in batting average. They are leading the league in runners in, uh, in batting average with runners in scoring position, hitting over 300, as well as leading the league in runners in scoring position with uh, – with two outs and they're fourth in RBIs with a runner on third and less than two outs. So they're getting that runner home uh, when it matters, whether that's a sack fly or hit or, um, or anything else. And they're also fourth in on base percentage and fourth in the league in home runs. So they're crushing it. Absolutely. So, I mean, I think let's move on here. Let's go to the MVP of the Yankees in the first half. Steve, who is your pick? Uh, my pick is DJ LeMahieu. He's been incredible, hitting over 330 uh, almost all year. He's up to 345, probably somewhere in Jeff McNeil territory uh, yeah, yeah. earlier in the year. He struggled a bit this week uh, at City Field and in Tampa, uh, but he's been rock solid. He's been the MVP for, for sure for me, and I have an honorable mention of Masahiro Tanaka because when I talk about MVP, I also try to think about who the Yankees can't lose. Mm-hmm. I think if they could lose DJ LeMahieu, God forbid, because everyone else has gotten hurt. But if they lose Tanaka, their starting staff is really in a lot of trouble. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I also think DJ LeMahieu like has a legitimate case for AL MVP. He like, does. I, I really think that. Um, but yeah, I, I for the sake of just not saying the same, I think Claybor Torres has just been unreal mm-hmm. too. Um, just the powers there, hitting all over the field, playing de- really well in defense, and. Uh, Kid's 22 years old, I think. I mean, yeah. that's insane. <laughs> Hard to believe that he needed two injury places to make the All-Star team this year. Oh, we did. That was that was pure, like, the, the system is broken. Too many Yankees, and we had to get John Means on there to represent the Orioles. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of Gleyber Torres, somewhat, uh, he was batting ninth for the Yankees last year. Yeah. And this year, uh, the Yankees out of the ninth spot have the second-best OPS out of the ninth spot uh, with a 759 right behind Houston. So out of one through nine, the entire Yankee lineup is killing it. Higher than the Mets three-hole hitter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, the, Met, the Met pitchers also <laughs> are doing better than the three-hole yeah. hitters. <laughs> I also agree LeMahieu is probably the choice, but I'm also going to be different. I'm going to say Gary Sanchez because I remember back at the beginning of the year, everybody was like, you know what, like, 
why are we keeping Gary Sanchez? His defense stinks. He couldn't hit it all last year. And then there was people the offseason saying, oh, trade for JT Real Muto. Just get a different catcher in here. And he was the one guy who stabilized that lineup besides LeMahieu when everybody was hurt because he was there. He was hitting well. He's hit a ton of home runs. He's actually been pretty good defensively. He hasn't been a disaster like people thought he was going to be. Oh, no, so. he's, he's been like, I think it's fair to say he's been good defensively. Like, it's it's fine to say it, I think. I think people are timid because they think, you know, everything is going to happen like happened last year. But he's been great behind. I, I mean, he has he's throwing guys out. He's got a cannon. We all knew that. He's done better with the pass balls, blocking the ball. I mean, he when people last year were like, let's trade him. We have Romine. I'm like, <laughs> You're out of your mind. Give this kid another, like, refresh. The dude's unreal. Yeah, Gary Sanchez has probably had the most to prove, maybe besides John Collar Stanton going into this season. Uh, he's got 24 home runs. His yeah. OPS is 870. He, you said it before, when everyone was getting hurt, he was the stabilizing force yeah, in that lineup. Unreal. He's so good. I mean, what catcher is yeah. going to hit yeah. that? Especially for <laughs> a catcher. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm also going to throw a shout out in there to uh, Brett Gardner, who is on my fantasy team. He's been he's carrying. Hot. He's hot. I mean, he's get he's doing a little bit all. I mean, he's average about two forties, but he's he's hitting a lot of home runs. He's on pace for like twenty seven home runs this year. Twenty twenty five. It's incredible. No, yeah. I thought because uh, what's he at? I think he's almost at. Like, he's at like, fourteen. Fourteen home runs. Yeah, fifteen. Any home run ever game of Tampa series? He's at fifteen right now. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> he's got double digit steals. He plays good defense in the outfield. I mean, he's been a very underrated contributor to this team. He's been an underrated Yankee for his entire tenure. Yeah, he's seriously. been the most. And people were running him out of town earlier with yes. his seven million or whatever they. Yes. And he's batting ninth now, or yeah. six through nine at the, at this big, point. A big, uh, big part of why the uh, OPS at the nine hole was so good for the Yankees, at Brett Gardner. Brett Gardner has been uh, crushing it as well, but I, it was definitely the right move, a thousand percent, to have DJ LeMahieu move into Gardner's spot in the leadoff hole. But Gardner oh, now has God. shown a power surge, his best power numbers in his career against Tampa. Uh, so that's what another reason why he had a good series. But yeah, shout out to Brett Gardner for sure. Thanks for hitting a home run on my birthday yesterday. Yeah. All right, so let's go on to the disappointment side of the scale. So I think it's hard to find this point with the Yankees. It's, they've all been pretty good, but I feel like there's a couple of guys we can Definitely, point yeah. to. So I'll give it to Steve as the Yankee guy, so you can take the first shot here. Yeah, this was a little strange going into disappointments because I was looking at the Mets, I was looking at the Yankees, and I actually named more disappointments for the Yankees than the Mets really? uh, right away. And that's, I mean, maybe just a spoiled Yankee fan in me. Uh, but I, the no. biggest disappointment... <laughs> is probably Jay Happ. Um, I think they were expecting a little bit more from him. He doesn't give them the length they may have wanted. Um, I can I can throw. Like He would be probably my number one, but others I have listed. Um, James Paxson, I was expecting a little bit more out of him. Um, and the big... Uh, the big problem that a lot of Yankee fans don't like is, you know, the former MVP, John Carlos Thin, yeah. uh, who can't stay healthy, and it seems like any chance he gets, if he strikes out, he's in a no-win situation. He's the, the A-Rod situation. Aaron Judge is always going to get cheered like Jeter. John Carlos may always get booed like A-Rod. That's definitely a good comparison. Oh, hey. yeah, my guy's Paxson. Yeah. I, you brought big, him in to be a Big front, Maple. Brought him in to be a frontline ace, you know, kind of your guy. And he's pitch, I know he got injured, pitching to, I think, over a four- had over a four not like a, you know i think like a 401 or something like that um but yeah i just think that's a guy who you slotted him in you traded for him and you thought that's a guy is consistent he'll you know give us length and it just hasn't been the case um but yeah he arrived you know he much better than half half has been abysmal i think yeah half cra sits a little bit over five yeah paxton slightly over four yeah, um so, and that's not what you want with these yeah with the trades or acquisitions yeah, you know paxton's usually a guy who hovers you know 3.5 maybe a little bit lower a little bit higher but i think he's i just think that's that's a guy that you didn't want to worry about and now it's like 
the whole staff outside of Tanaka, who you mentioned before, it's kind of like, well, what are we going to get? Are we getting three or are we getting eight? So yeah. I think Paxson's one of the biggest issues in that rotation. Yeah, disappointment out of the bullpen then goes to Jonathan Holder, who sports yeah. an ERA well over six. Um, they were expecting a little bit more out of him. Um, he's down in the minors, trying to fix him up, much like they did with Chad, Chad Green, Green, who yeah. has had a resurgence Chad after Green. coming back. So Jonathan Holder could pitch the seven for the Mets right now. 6.81 ERAs. That's a little bit less than Familia. <laughs> it's slightly higher than Diaz. Not much. And anyway, let's, I agree with that. I think those two, I think Stanton, obviously, as Steve pointed out, just the injuries are killing him. And, That's what it is, yeah. And the thing is scary. He's been hurt so much, you know he's going to opt in to the last seven years of that deal in 2020. So the Yankees have been on the hook for oh, all this decline. Yeah, with with Stanton's injury history, he was – he was healthy almost all of last year, and no one gives him credit for that. Same with the year before. Um, before those two years, though, it was an it was an issue. So it kind of sucks that he was healthy the last two years, but now he's hurt twice this year, and everyone's like, "Oh, he's so injury prone." Yeah, yeah, he is in a no win situation. <laughs> all right, so obviously, I think we're all in agreement here. They don't have enough starting pitching, I don't think, to win in October because going up against teams like Houston. The Twins, when you have all this offense that you have to deal with, because their lineup is loaded as well. And you well. know they'll make a move. They'll yeah. make a move. Yeah, so like the question here is, is it Bumgarner, or you think it's somebody else? I I don't see... I don't see Bumgarner landing on the Yankees, but I was trying to think of, like, will Trevor Bauer end up on the Yankees or Max Scherzer end up on the Yankees? And I don't think any of these guys are going to end up on the Yankees. I don't think the Yankees want to give up too much. They missed their chance originally with Verlander. I have, if any pitcher... I think they'd end up with Stroman from Toronto. Uh, he wants to pitch in. It seems like he wants to pitch in the Bronx as yeah, well. He's from from Long Island. So he's from Steve. He's from yeah, Steve Matz's yeah, neck of the woods. Yeah. The, they have to assess Luis Severino's injury a little bit more right now. They need to know if he's going to be a pitcher, if he's going to be the pitcher, if he's going to be the guy coming back. Um, and that's that's a big. You just got to hope. Also, you know, Hap or Paxton can become a solid number two if they only have one decent pitcher in Tanaka. It's not going to be enough. Yeah, I um see Bauer's interesting because I, I I know there's a lot of heat behind that one and um one of the kids I've interned with my friends I interned with at Newsday pointed out on Twitter today that the Yankees recently signed someone from that uh you know like ba- Bauer has like that data driven company yeah. yeah so the Yankees hired someone from that company which I think means little but also it could be a little you know little tidbit um but Cleveland has had a resurgence I mean they're there at the wild card you know I don't think they're really ready to sell. Um, and Bumgardner, yeah, I just I don't. There's something about Bumgardner where I, I everybody like somebody today said like he can be bad in the regular season, but I, I still take him in the postseason. Which to me, I just think that's I, not I don't, true. I don't believe that. That's either. not true, uh, especially in especially in the ALE. Like, yeah, obviously you're not going to play anybody in the AL East in the playoffs. Maybe Boston, but like those ballparks are banned boxes. Yeah. So you're going from the cavernous NL West to AL East, I, and, and they'll get on him in New York, you know? One bad start, he'll be, and I don't think he's a guy who can handle that. I think Stroman is all about it, so I think Stroman's going to be the guy. And Wheeler, I think Wheeler, if they Mets are willing. The Mets say they're willing, but I until I see it happen, I don't think they've seen me a trade in no. significance since like 2001, no, so no, I don't yeah. think they're going to do it anytime soon. As a Yankee fan, I would I would love Zach Wheeler on, uh, at least as an addition. Like, I don't think he's going to be their number Not two. The guy, yes, yeah. But he's another, he, I mean, he, the Yankees have had some sort of success with these lesser pitchers over the years anyway, well, like a like, Freddie Garcia or a Lance like Lynn. A, He's like an Evaldi to an extent where it's like the stuff is there, but you just don't know why he gets hit around the yard because his stuff is disgusting. Again, we'll talk about him later, but yeah. And again, I think just I would go for Bumgarner just because I feel like they have never in the cash and era gone for the one sure thing ace that they need to get over the top. And like 
I feel like your postseason rotation is much better if you have Madison Bumgarner starting game one than Masahiro Tanaka starting game one. And what are you talking about? Aaron Small was like 10-0 one year at the Yankees. Yeah, Aaron Small was Aaron Small, but like, I mean, come on. He, he's not Madison Bumgarner, who's won game sevens of like in big spots. He outdueled Syndergaard in that wildcard game in New York a couple of years ago against the Mets. And I would take that guy because... What do you got to lose here? I mean, you need to win right now because this core is only going to get more expensive. You're already on the hook for a Tom Lee with Stanton. Go get one right now. Yeah, it's unfortunate Washington crawled back in because I actually would have loved to see if they got Scherzer. Can you imagine if Scherzer was there? I mean, they yeah. had to give up the you know, everything. But, dude, if he was there, that would – I mean, that's a lock for a World Series. It's yeah. not – I don't like saying that, but if you put a guy like him there, forget about it. It wouldn't they, be fair. <laughs> they would have to sell the farm, and I think after yeah. missing out on Verlander, they're more than willing to take a risk for a top flight starting Definitely, because we're going to have him with Verlander. He's kind of like the same age. Obviously, the contract was different, but, yeah. Was, yeah, not only did they not get Verlander, yeah. it's Houston that – Got him. They wound up hurting him and just uh, spiraled out. (laughs) That's hammered to right center field. And it's gone. Three homers for the all-star Josh Bell. What a night. What a night for the all-star. One week from tonight, he'll bring the show on the road to Cleveland. But tonight, he's Pittsburgh's darling. Three homers, seven RBIs. All right, let's go around the league a little bit. And we're going to do some, we're going to start with some surprises. Steve, give me your surprise team from the first half. Uh, I think this is a pretty easy one. I have the Minnesota Twins. I think it's uh, what everybody's going to say. <laughs> yes, they're, they're second in batting average, first in home runs, first in OPS. Uh, they strike out fifth fewest in the league. Um, you got... Blanco, Kepler, Rosario, Crone. You got all them just uh, crushing it this year, literally. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the the easier answer there is is the Minnesota Twins. They have been unbelievable. Will was on them in the preseason. He said that they would be a sleeper, but nobody thought they would be not this like, good. No, no, I, I won't take all the credit because I did not think they're going to be this good. You <laughs> had to make it the playoffs, I believe. Yeah, it's a wild card, I think. Yeah, I think you got to get the second wild card. But yeah. uh, well, since we kind of all, I think we're all in agreement on the Twins. Give me the Definitely. surprise player you think from the first half. Who you think has been the most surprising player? Out of, so like all of baseball, right? Sure. Yeah, it's got to be Ryu, right? Yeah. <laughs> Stabilizer out there, been unreal. Also, um, I kind of have him for another part of this, but Josh Bell. Yep, I have Josh <laughs> Bell as my surprising player. Kind of like a slap, not like a slap hitter, but like a switch hitting, okay defensive guy who all of a sudden just is pulling the ball and hitting the crap out of the Right ball. now, Josh Bell has 27 home runs this year. His career high going into this 15, year is 26. Right? Oh, yeah, 20, yeah, 26 yeah, yeah, a few years ago. Last year, I think he had 12 year, or 15. Was, so, yeah. yep. I mean, he's in the home run derby tonight, Josh Bell. He is. Yeah. He is a big dude. Like, I saw him, I went to Pittsburgh for a game, and we were down at first, and this guy is massive like that's where i think most people were like well, how does this guy not hit 40 every year and i think he's almost at 90 rbis isn't he <laughs> yeah he's had a huge breakout so like it's insane that that nlmvp race is insane we'll get to that in a second yes, definitely i think those two guys are definitely good breakout candidates for me i think i'm gonna go back to lemay a bit just because like he we knew he was good in colorado but like we the didn't jur- think yeah. he would be this good. With the jury the was out. The jury was out. And we said, okay, he's a nice player. He'll he'll bounce around the infield for them. But he has been like anchor MVP quality guy. I mean, just think for a second how different the two offseasons in New York could have been. The Yankees signed DJ LeMayhew and Adam Ottavino. The Mets signed Jed Lowry and Jerry Stramilia. That's <laughs> no, the difference of the two teams right there. <laughs> it is. It's fun. It's like actually hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> like it really is. <laughs> and they got basically the same money. No, that's what it is. Yeah. I think I think LeMayhew and, and Ottavino got less. 
than what they paid Familia and then what they paid Lowry. I could be wrong, but I think it was less. Yeah, also, speaking of money, I feel like Yankee fans were waiting to hate DJ LeMahieu for not being not Manny, Manny Machado, Machado. Yep. and to surpass those expectations, and everybody loves him now is a pleasant surprise. It was the course field, too. That's what it was. Everybody was like, uh, like he... Because I think his splits were obviously they were different, but I think the guy's a stud, no doubt about it. Every big hit, it's like DJ LeMahieu, DJ LeMahieu. I mean, he might even drive in like a hundred this year, isn't he? Kind of like it, I, yeah. I think he's on pace to. That's he's nuts. probably got 60, 65 you know RBI, I mean? like maybe that, at this point. That's unbelievable. Like that's like, ridiculous. Like this guy could hit over three thirty, knock out like twenty five, and drive in a hundred as the as the leadoff hitter. It's yeah. insane. <laughs> All right, let's go to dis- on this, the other side here. We'll go back to disappointment side. So, Will, give me the most disappointing team of the first half. Ugh, it's as easy, I think, for me, Phillies and Big Bryce. Just, I think, I know, like, it was almost, I felt like lazy doing it. But, I mean, I think it's fair. Bryce Harper went there. The sexy pick was the Phillies. And here they are, like, floundering. Yeah, and, and Harper's just been, I think Harper's been what we thought, knew he was going to be. But, like, you label, we put that contract on him. Everybody talks about 2015. And you think, hey, maybe he can find it. But, I mean, he's he's literally just been, like, a power hitter. He's yes. been a strikeout power hitter who's been extraordinarily inconsistent. So, I think – and, and Machado, just kind of why my thought process here was, like, Machado's kind of held his own with the contract. I think he's been, had a really hot month of June. Um, Harper's just been off. I mean, just bad. He's just yeah. been bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you can say he's been bad, but he's still on pace for looking at his stats now, something like – 30 home runs is probably a little less than you'd want, but over over 100 RBIs, yeah. probably in the 110 range. Only bad in 250, though, on bases 370, which is okay, but not not up to his Yeah, you his know what I mean? Like, my standards. thing, too, is kind of like a guy of his capability, if you play 162, like with LeMahieu doing it, it's different because it's like, wow, this guy's never done it before. But, like, if you give Harper those at-bats, I feel like 30 and 100 is kind of like the new 15 and, like, 80. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean – you don't pay the guy. You know what I mean? Like that's not. I feel you're, like you're not paying thirty. You're paying plus him million. to be everything. You want him to be like the big middle of the order guy. But I get what you're saying too. Like I do. I do think I was being too hard on him to an extent. But at the end of the day, when he won MVP, that was like a historic season, and that's kind of what you're paying for. So Steve, who is your disappointing team? Uh, I had the Phillies as well. Um, just also with an honorable mention there of the Cubs. I think are underperforming. Yeah. Uh, so that's my my disappointment. That whole division is weird because I mean, I look at the standings right now. First Car- to Cardinals last is, too, you could say, right? <laughs> the NL Central first to last separated by four and a half games. Yeah, which is ridiculous. I feel like yeah, <laughs> I feel like now that I say the Cardinals are probably a fair enough team yeah. to say, right? Yeah. Paul Goldschmidt hasn't really done that been that great out there. I, I believe Luke Voigt is having a better season than uh, Goldschmidt. So, <laughs> yeah. well, Luke Voigt's having a great year, so credit to him Man's as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay, my disappointment here, I'm going with the obvious one that has not been brought up yet. We talked about them at the top, the Mets. Yeah. I mean, it's enough said here. I mean, you have a guy in Pete Alonso who is setting rookie records for power production, and he already hit 30 home runs. I mean, last year, I don't think, I don't think anyone in the Mets had more than 30 last year, if I'm correct. Uh, no, know. definitely not. They have, a guy so. <laughs> yeah, they have a guy who's going to win the batting title. They have a rotation. I mean, Degrom has been good. He's not been, but he's been good enough considering nobody's second to be a, still a three-three. So yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I'm taking that every day. Of the week. They have a <laughs> Jason Vargas, basically like a three and a half ERA for yeah. this team, and they are ten games under 500, and the entire league has caught them except for Miami. So that's to yeah. me is the huge disappointment. Well, how funny is it? Like you have a like in a two-year span, you're going to have a Cy Young, you're going to have a Rookie of the Year, 
probably, you know, yes, tentatively. And then a guy who might win the batting title. And they have a record well under 500 in that time. It's unreal. And, like, just in, another thing off of that. Incompetence. Yeah, like, you said it, uh, Mike, you texted me earlier in the year when you were like, I think it's fair to say that um, Alonzo is, like, having that judge effect, right? Yeah. Where it's like, remember when judge first came up that, not the first time, but the second time. Se- what is it, 2016 when he had that crazy year? Yeah, 17. 17, yeah. His first full year. Yeah, um... Like when Judge had, because they're very identical seasons, but when Judge had that, the Yankees were over, you know, they were like overextending themselves, winning games. They were like, everybody was like, wow, like this guy is willing them to this, right? But with Alonzo, it's like he's having this great year and the Mets are awful. I just think it's so Mets. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. here's this guy having this Judge year, but the Mets are still garbage. <laughs> yep. 10 under 500. So you can also talk about uh, the Seattle Mariners who started off 13 and 2. Yeah. And, and since then have just completely fallen Trader off the rails. Jerry. Yeah, but nobody really bought them, though. I, I, mm-hmm. I completely agree. Mm-hmm. Um, but they started off well and it just completely they, went down the drain. Every, out, out they all went. Okay. <laughs> let's go disappointing player. I'll go, I'll go to Will first. I didn't, I didn't change this from what I said at Harper. I, think, I just think for what you paid and for everything about around him. I think Harper has been disappointing just for the Phillies and their fans. But, like, obviously, you want to talk – like, Edwin Diaz is there, you know, a guy that you brought in who was supposed to be the guy, the closer, and he's been anything but that. I got uh, Jose Ramirez on Cleveland. He's been yeah. he's been terrible. Last year, his OPS was 939. Right now, it, is, it sits at 652. Yep. Um, he's only got 35 RBIs. He's got seven home runs. I think that's a big reason why Cleveland has not been able to get to gain any traction. Really, he's supposed to be a big part of their lineup yeah, and, sure. and hasn't fulfilled. All hands down, yeah. Yeah, I mean they're they are very clear disappointments to me. And I think I'm going to go with Goldschmidt from St. Louis just because, like, for what they got for him and the fact that they gave they him, paid the big, him. They, they paid him, gave him a big extension, said, you know what, he's going to be our guy. He's going to be the new anchor of our lineup. And you figured that's a perfect cardinal move. You pick, go get this guy out of a smaller market, bring him to St. Louis where he's going to play in front of fans that love you all the time and he doesn't do anything wrong but i mean this year he's hitting only 254 he's got 16 homers 37 rbis and ops of i believe it's 769 it's not very good no that's round league average it's not a little lower right it's, it's now you're paying paul goldsmith to do yeah. exactly okay let's guess go to the predictions now we'll do some quick predictions here so we'll go first up al mvp steve who you got um i got mike trout um, and with DJ LeMahieu, uh, second in that order. But, I mean, LeMahieu, I think in the AL, his uh, OPS is over about 140 points higher than, I think, it's Carlos Santana in second place. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be Trout, but with a, a nice mention to DJ LeMahieu, who, who could pull it out, but I just don't think it's going to happen. That's my thoughts yeah. exactly. But also, I kind of give LeMahieu a little bit more weight because we've seen it before where Mike Trout could win it every single year, but it's that Jordan-LeBron effect where it's just – Hey, we know he's great, but look at this guy. He's too. deserving. It. He's deserving every year, <laughs> yes, and that's what yep. they, like. It, there's the debate. You know, is it the the best player? Is it the most yeah, valuable exactly. player to their team? See, that's so. why I go with Lemayhew because he's you take like Philip said before. You take him out of that Yankee lineup, who knows what they where they are. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Trout as well. I mean, hey, he did not win last year, so he's due to win again because Bookie yeah. Betts it, won it last year. He took his year off. Yeah, <laughs> and like just the fact that like. Well, Mayu's numbers are good, but there's not like one like wow. We need to give this guy the award. Where Mike Trout's numbers is so much better. You well, have to is, overlook the fact that like he's, his team is doing bad with him. Yeah, and like arguably this is like on pace to be one of his better years too. Like which is insane. Like how could this guy get any better? And here yeah. he does every year. It kind of he does something else. Yeah. 
This is not like the NL MVP where we have three great candidates yeah. for it. So, which of the three did you take, Will? Uh, Bellinger. Just yeah. but I know, and then there's just something about him. Like when he was really hot, and the Dodgers were unreal. They were, you know what I mean. Like remember when, when the Mets went out there, and I remember texting you. I'm like, wow, we are not even close to how good this yeah. team is. <laughs> yeah, and then that same series, he gunned down two guys in, on, on the bases. Too. See, that's <laughs> why too. Like he was always, you know, he's done it all. He's yeah. he's been great defensively, hitting just the ball all over the place, hitting line drives. That more importantly, and um. I just think for where the Dodgers are, he's a large part or large reason. And uh, to me, he's been the MVP for the first half. Um, yeah, I would agree. It, it's yeah. between we all know who we're going with, but I'm going to go with Bellinger as well. Um, hitting 336, 30 home runs, 71 RBIs. Uh, you you spoke enough about him with the Dodgers. Yeah. He's a, he's a huge part of that team. Josh Bell, I do. Just a part of me wants to see Josh Bell get it though. <laughs> I'm going to be the contrarian here, and part of me this is biased because he's on my fantasy team. But Christian Yelich yeah. again. Mm-hmm. You can't discredit him at you all. You cannot. Yeah. I mean, like he's been like. Bellinger has been one. He's been one A the whole year, and mm-hmm. I, I don't think the Brewers are anywhere close to where they are in the standings. Not Christian Yelich for his yeah. points this year. So. Oh no, yeah, it's so it's super close. Like honestly, it's a flip of the coin. Yeah, and Josh Bell is coming in third, which is unfair because any other year he's probably winning the award by himself. Well, yeah, and he kind of I think he's cooled off a little bit, right? I yep. think he has, but yeah, any other year you're right to run away with those RBIs. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Cy Young Award. We'll go to the American League first. Steve, the American League guy, who you got? I'm gonna go with Verlander. Yeah. Um, he's ten and four, two point nine eighty ERA, uh, striking everyone out as usual. His WHIP is .81, which is incredible. Um, he's a huge part of that Houston team, a big reason why they're gonna be successful, and a huge reason why the Yankees still regret uh, not getting him. <laughs> so I'm gonna go with the guy that I picked in the preseason, just because I'm gonna bake on him coming back around, because I think he's he's been hot recently, and that's Jose Barrios. I don't think he's winning enough ball games. They don't win like he's eight and he's eight and five, and he's one and three in his last seven starts. But he's a two point seven. So that you know, it's just we see it every day with Degrom. You're just not winning with your best guy in the mound. But I still love that kid's stuff. I think he's unbelievable, and I picked him in the in the preseason on this show. So I'm gonna stick it. He's he stick with it. He's kind of around there. It's not like it's too far fetched. So I think if he gets hot, he could do it. This is a prediction I recently made on a. Another podcast I've been on the uh, sorry sorry interrupt podcast. I'm going with Charlie Morton of the Rays. As I like my, pick. my only thing is that he doesn't pitch enough in. That's my thing, but I'll hear I'll hear you. I rebuttal. mean, he's ten and two on the year yep. on Tampa. He's, his ERA is two thirty two. He's the American League on qualified starters. He's opponents running only a buck ninety six against yep. him, which is ridiculous. Whip of one oh three. Struck out one hundred forty two guys in one hundred eleven twelve and two thirds innings. I mean. What more can you want? I mean, the innings I get, but like he's winning yeah, and he's and it's consistently not his good. Fault. It's not yeah. his fault. We saw Blake Snell win last it's the, year. With it's the, the Rays' strategy yep, here. Yep, which I don't, I can't argue with that. I think. No, exactly. I hit him right behind Verlander yeah. as well. I was yeah. trying to choose between the two of them. The yeah. two yeah. former Strohs. Yeah, yep. or well, one's a Stroh, obviously now still. <laughs> okay, the NL Cy Young also has gotten interesting. I will go first here. I'm going to take uh, the guy who has been the hottest pitcher in baseball right now, Mad Max Scherzer, because yes, what he did in June, like specifically after the broken nose, Never, yeah. when he broke his nose on a bunt attempt during batting practice, he went six and zero in the month. He won NL Pitcher Month. He has a two three ERA right now. Ryu had a huge lead early, but that ERA gap is closed significantly. So like if Scherzer keeps closing it, I think he's going to win that award. I definitely agree. 
I, I got Scherzer as well. Yeah. Um, I think that those numbers are going to get a lot closer. Right now, uh, Ryu's got a 1.73, Scherzer 2.30. Uh, I think when all is said and done at the end of the year, it's going to be Scherzer. It's right. so funny that like what it takes to dethrone Scherzer is someone going sub two and having yeah. some unreal run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jake last year just had to have it. Ryu has to has to keep it off, take yeah. that warp. And, and he has. He has yeah. Ryu has pitched like that the whole year. He hasn't really had a big blurb yet, I think. Yeah, so. had, yeah but Max last year's ER was like two and a half. Unreal. And Jake's was like one seven. Scherzer's unreal, though, yeah. Okay, so let's go to rookie of the year. NL, is anybody going to not take Pete Alonso? <laughs> nope. <laughs> There's no way. I mean, unless like Austin Riley goes and just has some incredible stretch and Alonzo goes cold I don't see it being any anywhere close I really don't I remember when Chris Paddock was getting annoyed at Alonzo in May, in May and then since then he's pitched kind of terribly and gone to the minors he went to the savings. minors yeah there's so, no way yeah. automatically disqualified my book no seriously <laughs> if you're not gonna you, you're not gonna pitch the innings and I get it again you can't really fault him but yeah, oh, it's not even close. It's not even close. He, I mean, Alonso can give you an MVP. Yeah, he leads the NL on hits, home runs, average, well, not average, but uh, high rookies. and average as yeah. well. Yep, among rookies. So yeah, he's, he's, he's going to win. Yeah. Riley has played really well, though. I'll give him that, but not even close. And Riley was the start of the season later, which also yes, worked definitely. against him. Yes. AL Rookie of the Year. I am gonna. I think you said earlier to me you want to go with Brandon Lau from the Rays. Yeah. Um, he's He's – He's been great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to pull up his numbers uh, right now as well, um, but he's been a great addition to that team. I also have uh, Chavis from Boston. I got John Means from Baltimore. Uh, uh, he's been killing two, two it five, as well. Right? So yeah. I kind of threw a knock at him before, but I do know he's been yeah. well. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, um, you know, it's like, it, it's funny because this was like a big banner year for the guys, right? Like Eloy was coming up. Um, all, all these dudes are going to come up. But yeah, I, I, I like Chavis. I think, he has just been awesome for the Sox. He, he crushed the Yankees I in mean, London. Right? And, and and it almost feels like he's been thrown in every situation to fail and for the most part he's he's done he's done his job and I think he's been huge for the Sox. Um so yeah, I I'm I'm going with him. Yeah, I think those are two good choices. I also want to give John Means a little love because I mean, it's a two-five, right? You're under it now. Yeah, I'm checking the exact number right now, but the fact is, he's playing on a team that has like maybe two, terrible. two major leaguers on it, <laughs> and he's been seven and four, two and a half ERA this year. Yeah, I mean, he has a winning record on the Orioles. <laughs> That says something. That's all you need big, to know, time, really. Big time. And I don't think he was a star. I don't think he was a starter at the beginning of the year. I thought no, they brought like him up like in mid-April. And he was like a pen guy for a little bit, I think. Yeah. I could be wrong, but I don't remember him starting. I believe you're right. Yeah. yeah, he's a guy I picked up in fantasy baseball. And I said, okay, he's doing well. I'll just ride this out until he eventually starts getting hit. And then I dump him. But he, I haven't been able to keep him. He's been very, very productive. Yeah, definitely. Manager of the year. AL, I think it's a two-horse race, I think, between Boone and uh, Rocco Baudelli yeah. up, in, up in Minnesota. So Definitely. Anybody taking Rocco, are we all going Boone? I, uh, I have Rocco. I actually did pick I Baldelli. would go with Baldelli yeah. as well. I also have Kevin Cash up there as a as a three. I'll, I'll put Kevin Cash up there every year as, that he's managing. No, seriously. With the, with, yep. with the payroll that he's got. He does have a lot of talent and a lot of young talent every year, but what he can do with it and with the analytics guys as well, he's been a great That's manager funny. for the race. Yeah, this Baldelli to me, it's just – Oh, you just talk about hitting the nail on the head, right? Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm going to take Boone just because of the sole fact that, like, this might be his only shot to actually win the award because nobody will ever give it to a Yankee manager otherwise because they presume to have such the advantage yeah. of the big payroll and oh, get whoever they yeah. want. But, like, with those injuries, yeah. If you look at the lineups, he was rolling out there in late April for most of May when we had guys batting, like, 
Tyro Estrada, Gio Urshela, Cameron Maybin. And these are all guys that panned out great. And they were all batting, like, basically five through nine of the Yankee line was a spring training lap every night, and they were still winning these games, like, every night, which is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, the, ba- think, the backup bombers uh, really came through. Yeah, the backup bombers are pretty good this year. So Better than the Nats. Yeah. NL Manager of the Year, next next category. I think, I think there's a, a couple of good choices here, but I'm going to go with Dave Roberts and the Dodgers because yeah. far and away the best team. Yeah, I give Snicker some t- some some credit too in Atlanta. I think uh, that team got hot. I think he's found it, and so they're rolling right now. But Roberts is, you know, that team's unreal out there in LA. I had David Roberts as well. Yeah. So. All right, we'll close. We'll close this thing out. We'll bring it back to the Yankees and Mets. We'll do two quick questions here. So number one for the Yankees, which pitcher do they get? Uh, I mentioned this a little bit before, but I had Stroman. Um, from Toronto, and I, I don't even think they're going to get him. I don't think it's going to be one of these big names, which is something everybody wants, but I just don't think it's going to happen. I think it's definitely going to be sh- – I think Strowman's like a legit. I really do because, they, you know, they've done business with Toronto before. Granted, on a, you know, Jay Happ last year, mm-hmm. and I think Strowman does not want to be there. He wants to – you know, New York, he'd shine here. So I, I think I think if – it's a smart move too. Yeah. It's not like – so I think if Cashman's going to do anything, like that's like plan C – so I think Stroman will end up right. there, and it's a, it's a question if they wanna if they think any of these pitchers are worth Clint Frazier. Exactly, yeah. and I and I think if they're because I think Stroman is under control for another year. I could be wrong, but um, I yeah, I just I just don't know if they'll ship him up to Toronto, see him you know eighteen times a year, <laughs> Clint Frazier. That is, I'm gonna say they take the swing. I think they do end up with Mad Bomb. That's my prediction for this year. I think that like they've dabbled enough, and I think they know this group is special, and they're one piece away. They see, they saw what happened with Verlander and the Astros, and they don't think they want to miss out on that guy again. So I think they will go do what it takes to get Mad Bomb here. Definitely fair. Definitely fair. I, even if it costs them Clint Frazier, I think they'll do it. I if they can get Bumgarner for Frazier, I think it will happen. Um, okay. But I just I don't think they're gonna get any of these big names. Okay, and the last one, the, the Met question is, where does Zach Wheeler go? Because there's a lot of spots here, and we don't think it's going to be the Yankees, so where do you think he's going? I, I think, uh, I I actually like, I think Boston might pony up and do it. Um, it's Dave Dombrowski's thing to just loot your farm system. <laughs> uh, but I think there, or I do like Milwaukee. Milwaukee's obviously had that interest in him in the past. Uh, I was actually thinking Milwaukee, so that's a, yeah. that's, a, that's a very good point. I don't know enough about their system to really... Uh... They got to, to delve guys. into. Well, I don't think we. God, if we got one of those big, they have some good guys down there. Some some names. Yeah, but, but well, then the Mets would get much less than that. So. Yeah, so we'll get a relief pitcher. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I have one I'm gonna throw out there that hasn't been brought up before, but I think it makes sense given they like the player. I think it makes a lot of sense because they want to try and consolidate the window and win right now. Watch Houston here because Houston. A lot of these analytically inclined teams love Zach Wheeler's stuff, and they think that you know you get him in the building work, and work with the analytics people, and then you can figure out what's wrong with the slider. That's and why what it's not it is. Yeah, it's like the Mets aren't doing this right, so let's figure it out. <laughs> yeah, it's like let's take this guy in here. It's happened with Garrett Cole too. They yeah. brought him in, and like he was average in Pittsburgh. Now he's become a stud. So imagine getting him down there as the three behind Verlander and Garrett Cole, and all of a sudden the Astros I think are World Series favorites. Yeah, that's actually very that's intriguing. Point. I hadn't thought about that. I could see them doing it. I mean, they did it with Cole, right? Like, and, <laughs> and these guys have traded before. And then Brody has traded with them over the over the yeah. winter. They got JD Davis from Houston, so definitely I mean, there's a little bit of relationship there. So that's definitely a good idea. I, I would not be surprised. That. That's where yeah. he goes. All right, that's a lot of baseball. We got a lot to cover on the break, but once again, I want to thank you guys for coming on. So I mean, you guys have a chance to plug your Twitter accounts if you have them. Will I'll start with you. I know you do. Yeah, it's a long one as usual, but yeah, at Will S C H N E I D E R H one. Um, yeah, on Twitter, not really doing much on it right now. But, yeah, <laughs> give me a follow, follow back. 
All right. Steve, you have a Twitter you can follow. Um, well, not really. So I'll, <laughs> I'll uh, say follow Will and Mike. Um, I'm not going to do much tweeting for my account, so I'll leave it at that. We should get you on Twitter. You have a lot of interesting baseball insights to provide. Uh, yeah, but I, sometimes I just don't share it with the world, Mike. Well, thank That's you why I come on these podcasts. Well, thank you for sharing today. I really appreciate it. Oh, Thanks for having me. All right, and there you have it. That was this week's baseball beat. I want to thank Will Schneiderhan and Steve Kulso for taking all that time to chat with me. Up next, this week's two-minute drill, we're going to introduce the Phillips Film Review. And we're going to break down the latest theory for 30, the good, the bad, and the hungry, right after this. All right, and welcome back to this week's two-minute drill for a special Phillips film review of the latest 30 for 30 film, The Good, The Bad, and The Hungry. In case you are not aware, this is the 10th anniversary of the ESPN 30 for 30 series, and they're almost all incredible films. I love watching 30 for 30s when they come out. I have so much fun just looking at the calendar trying to see when's the next one coming. We've had some great ones over the years. We had O.J. May in America. Doc and Daryl, for you Met fans out there. We had a lot of great ones with football, baseball, you name it. This year, a well on the podcast, I've covered a couple. I reviewed Seau back last September. I also reviewed Dion's double play back in January. This time, I'm looking at the 30 for 30, the good, the bad, and the hungry, which is documenting the history of competitive eating through the rivalry between the sport's two biggest figures, Kobayashi and Joey Chestnut and I'll say this film was certainly interesting for certain aspects of it I learned a lot about competitive eating which I didn't think I ever needed to know this sport if you want to call it a sport was virtually non-existent before 2001 that's when Kobayashi comes over from Japan signs up for the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest on the 4th of July and absolutely obliterates the record for the most hot dogs eaten in a single contest. The record was 25 that year. Kobayashi ate 50 hot dogs in 12 minutes. Again, previous record 25. Now it's 50. That's pretty ridiculous. And also, it answers some questions there. One question that I feel like a lot of people always had was, how does Kobayashi eat all this food and not become just a bloated fat person? He actually revealed that answer in this film. And the tech thing was he actually, when he was training, he never actually ate the food. So what he would do is he would develop his technique for like how he would split the hot dogs in half, dunk the bun, and then bring the food, basically practice the motion of doing it, bring it to his mouth, but not actually eat the food. So basically, he was practicing technique instead of just gorging himself on food, which is why he was a stick figure, despite being a competitive eater. The interviews they had with him and Joey Chestnut were both great. They both shared a lot of stuff, and you could see that they were big influences on each other. I mean, Joey Chestnut and his brother alone both testified that 
they got into the idea of Joey being a competitive eater watching Kobayashi lose to the bear on Man Eats Beast in 2003 when Kobayashi was eating hot dogs against a bear in that stupid Fox special. That was very interesting. The one thing about this film that really bothered me was the constant gratuitous shots of people just shoving food down their throats. And you have close-ups of Joey Chestnut training and just stuffing hot dogs in his face. You have the shots of Kobayashi from the back of the day just shoving salad and pasta and sliders or whatever in his mouth. It was just, ugh. And this is, I'm a guy who I admit, I have had to, made a choice a few years ago to eat healthier, lost a lot of weight, and I just felt sick watching that part of the movie. And that really turned it off to me. Now, this is nothing against the two guys here. Nothing against Kobayashi and Joey Chestnut, who are very, very big figures in the competitive eating world. They're great what they do, and the interviews were very interesting. But I think it was a bit much to spend an hour and a half on competitive eating. That's a bit much, in my opinion. I don't think it was a great idea to glorify this, especially in a world where people are hungry, people have trouble fighting, providing food for them, for them in lower-income countries, and we're glorifying two guys who spend their living eating hot dogs and pasta and, and sliders and whatever you can think of in large quantities. I was not a big fan of that. The Phillips grade, I'm giving this a C. I think... If you're a completionist and you watch every 30 for 30, watch it. But if you're just a casual, you can skip it. You're not going to miss anything. You really aren't. I think it's better off that I just don't think this is worth your while. All right, and that's going to do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guests, Will Schneiderhand and Steve Colzo for coming by to contribute to the baseball beat. That was a great conversation about all the state of baseball at the break. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including my look at how sports history and American history come together in a very surprising way, check out the blog over at justendthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Feel free to subscribe there. You can go back and check out all our episodes and catch up if you missed on some of the recent ones. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet me with the hashtag Manic Monday. We've made it to the end of this week's show. Next up, we've got a special bonus episode for you this week. I sat down today with John Stanko, our resident movie critic here on the podcast. We had a deep dive into some of the big movies that have come out of late with Spider-Man Far From Home, Toy Story 4, the X-Men movie. All of that good stuff is in a special bonus episode of the podcast in the Just Enjoy the Show format. That will be coming out later this week. Until then, I'll have a better week than Oklahoma City Thunder fans. (laughs) 